0: The 6:30 Chad Afternoon News with Jalen Nye, weekdays at two on 6:30 Chad. Please drop off a new toy for 6:30 Chad Santa's Anonymous at any major shopping center: Costco, Toys R Us, or Canadian Tire. This is 6:30 Chad Afternoons with Jalen Nye.
1: I'm Shane Hewitt on the Chorus Radio Network. Uh, You might know me as Zach, depending on the radio show that it comes from. It doesn't matter. Um, uh, Shane Hewitt's my name. Zach was the name I was given on the radio long ago. So um, there is a court case now uh, in a civil suit against uh, Dalen Heidel. He's serving jail time for sharing intimate images of four women without consent, revenge porn. Uh, Privacy laws are being challenged with this. Sean Sinclair joins me on the phone to talk a little bit about this. Hi, Sean. So you are the lawyer for the, um, how does this work, for the victim in this case? That's right. That's um, I'm representing the
2: victim against Mr. Heidel.
1: Okay. So how does, uh, how is this challenging the laws and the privacy laws, and how does this work? So this is a, and please correct me as I'm going to try to summarize this. Um, your client uh, from Saskatchewan has filed a civil suit uh, against this guy who's in jail uh, for compensation for harm inflicted uh, for sharing images without her consent Is that that how it goes?
2: That's basically it. So the... um Mr. Heidel, in this case, has pled guilty to distributing these uh, it, uh, images and videos um, uh, of my client, uh, and so he has been—he uh, was charged and he pled guilty criminally. And now she's bringing a, a civil lawsuit. Um, there is some law in Saskatchewan, and that's similar to some laws in other provinces, which allow uh, victims in these cases to to bring claims uh, as against uh, a partner who who um, uh, without consent distributes images and videos intimate images and videos of them so is this
1: the first time this privacy law in saskatchewan has really been challenged this way
2: well i I believe it is no there isn't a tracking of that necessarily in saskatchewan but uh certainly as far as i'm aware this is the first uh action of its kind in saskatchewan the the law only came into place in 2018 so when uh,
1: when you're sitting there with your client and I realize that there are some things that you probably can't say, of course, because there's that whole privilege thing. But you're sitting there with your client, and you're looking at this person, and this person's coming to you saying, okay, well, they're in jail now. And they're, they're, they're paying the, uh, the, the punishment, air quotes, that was given to them by the courts. But to me, that's not enough. To me, this is going to go on forever. This is going to, you know, I can't just erase the internet or whatever the situation might be. Um, does that inspire a lawyer to fight harder? I mean, where does that land for the lawyer?
2: Yeah, for uh, for the lawyer, you certainly look at this and say, this is a person who needs some assistance. And, and you also say, uh, you're a human in saying just, this is a person who I need to, to work hard for and, and to, to try and help redress the wrong that that's occurred. And so, you know, certainly for me, uh, it was important for me to take on a case like this because it, it's, uh, my heart certainly went out to, to my client for what she suffered.
1: What, um, what are, can you give the details of, of what is the civil suit? Is that public? Sure. So.
2: The, it, yes, it is. So the the action's uh, essentially a, a breach of privacy action. Uh, she's brought the, the claim is against uh, her her uh, former partner for sharing these uh, intimate images and videos without consent. Um, you know, from a technical perspective, it's it's, uh, it's a it's a breach under uh, under the Privacy Act of Saskatchewan, and that's uh, that's really the nature of the kind of claim as against uh, Mr. Heidel. Transfered money. It is a monetary claim, yeah. And is the money part public or no? Well, it it, it, it isn't really public in, in the sense of she hasn't claimed a specific amount. There really isn't any developed case law in Saskatchewan to say what's the appropriate monetary damages in a case like this. So what she's asked for is uh, for such uh, amount that the court determines appropriate. Oh, I see. So damages.
1: Is, the way, is, right. that, is that how they say that like i'm going to sue you for damages and then the court will decide what that is
2: yeah, and she's asked for what's called general damages, that's damages for essentially the pain and suffering that she has uh, has occurred uh, in this case. And then she's asking for what's called aggravated and punitive damages, which are essentially uh, damages uh, for to ensure that this type of behavior does not repeat either for this individual or for, for the public at large.
1: Yeah, and just to be clear on the magnitude of this, one particular intimate image was reported um, as being viewed online more than a million and a half times. So that's right. I mean, that, um, that's impactful.
2: It's, it was very impactful, um, and it that occurred on numerous occasions. And and. There were. Um, it wasn't just one uh, intimate image and video. as it was several over a prolonged period. So it was a. It's a very impactful situation. Yes.
1: Uh, Sean Sinclair is uh, representing uh, the victim. Here is unnamed in this. Uh, I think which seems to be um, uh, only appropriate in protecting, especially in regards to uh, the fact that it's already out there. Um, Lawyer for the woman who filed the civil suit against a man in Saskatchewan who is in jail, uh, convicted of sharing uh, intimate images of four women without consent. Thanks for helping us understand and taking the time today, Sean. Thank you so much. All right. So that does bring up the question about what is revenge porn. Now, this conversation is not easy. Uh, This is a mature conversation that may offend people. The language around uh, the conversations that we're going to have in regards to porn and revenge porn, uh, rape, and other things are uh, very strong language, and they're going to be a part of the next series of uh, pieces that we talk about here on the program today, just to be clear. Michael Browning is a registered psychotherapist and certified uh, sex addiction therapist with a title that goes a little bit further than that. Michael, perhaps you can explain uh, the way the certifi-
0: certification goes. So certification for um, training and, and assisting people who have compulsive or addictive sexual behaviors. So what
1: gives us compulsive or addictive sexual behaviors, Michael?
0: Well, pretty much like any other uh, aspect of the brain, um, becoming compulsive with uh, getting a reward. And uh, when you are rewarded chemically in a a process like being sexual, there are ways that it can kind of take over and become your preoccupation and your obsession. Um, So basically, you continue to chase that high, but rather than bringing a chemical into the body like a drug, you're producing the chemical within from pursuing the behavior.
1: So we're hormones addicts, is that what we are?
0: Uh, anyway you might say that it can be yeah
1: hmm, interesting um, when we look at um, what is revenge porn uh, today for those who don't understand uh, it falls into your realm of uh, your professional life uh, what is revenge porn how do we see it
0: so revenge porn is it's got a very specific template or arousal to it where the person is uh, getting the 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 pleasure from from hurting the other person and it can be different styles it can be hurting the other person that they don't know they're being hurt so there's revenge porn where people are posting and and they don't care they don't know if the ex or whatever is going to find out and then there's revenge porn it's more almost like doxing it's it's to make sure they find out and so you know in in um, details of their location or even their address or phone number or different things can be put in like a meme or you know put into the actual picture. So there's different types of uh, revenge porn. Um, there's even revenge porn that could be classified as deep fake, which isn't talked about a lot. But deep fake is where you're using the, the facial image of somebody you know and impose it through an AI system, imposing them into a porn movie, that mm. kind of thing. I didn't know that. There's various angles. Yeah, there's various angles out there, and, and uh, most people aren't aware of them. And like I said, the person's getting the thrill from from putting this out there. But there's a different angle so, like in other words to hurt the other person so they know it, or sometimes just to get away uh with it without the other person knowing there's different angles
1: so is this basically the internet more hurtful version of for a good time call in a marker in a bathroom stall
0: it's a That's a good analogy because you know in those days um you know it you know the phone call might be made and there might actually be another person on the other end, and they're embarrassed somebody uh uh, called them, but this is much more graphic and and much more damaging, right? Because in it, there's an implication of trust from the original exchange. So if you have a nude picture of somebody, um, you know, obviously you've had some kind of intimacy with them, sex, what have you, and they're sharing that with you or you took it uh, with them, then you're entrusted with that in the same kind of um, limits of intimacy right so just as you would necessarily have sex out in public uh, because it's an intimate act uh, the same too with these pictures is meant to be kept within that relationship within the intimacy is there any stats
1: sorry michael didn't mean to step on are there any stats about how much uh, porn on the internet is actually revenge porn and not released with permission
0: Yeah, there's no stats that I have found that are about overall Internet, but there's stats on um, people, uh, women mostly, who are saying that they have been uh, exposed in some way. For instance, there was a study in Britain um, where they had, I think, uh, 4,300 respondents, and 20% of these women said that an image of theirs was taken and distributed or threatened to be distributed without their permission uh ah, it's, so, it's about 1 in 5 uh women who have nude pictures out there which they assumed was going to be kept within an intimate relationship, is actually at threat or has been exposed.
1: So how do we, if somebody has been around this, or if uh, they find themselves, you know, you know with a sex addict part of, of your profession, you know, around porn, addicted to porn, tempted, uh, all that stuff, where do they go for help? Like, it's not like, it, maybe it is, maybe it's something you just ask your doctor about. Like, what, what should people do?
0: I don't think... Most medical doctors would have the background to to deal with that. Um, I think uh, you you would have to look up a specialist. I know that out in in Alberta there are many um, uh, certified sex addiction therapists and uh, and and they're online as well. You know, like our clinic or other uh, other areas, uh, they can provide online assistance. You, you you would have to do some research depending on your area and your needs, but you, a professional help is essential because in this particular issue, it's more than just a habitual use of porn. You're you're entering into boundary violations, and the boundary violation itself is the arousal. And that that's a that's a, indicates a certain pathology or a concern because that means that you're getting off on hurting somebody else. All right? And that that's why you might want to consider talking to a professional if that's actually a kink or an interest of yours or if you feel compulsed to almost do it anyway.
1: Can people come back from
0: it? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so it's it's a, I mean it's a it's a it's a poorly uh, it's a poor coping mechanism, it's, it's, you know, in often cases, it's to get away to medicate particular emotions. So, for instance, um, if you start to build up accountability in your life, um, you're understanding why you're having those impulses and you start to deal with those impulses or those triggers differently, then, you know, you can change this behavior. It's not something that uh, once done, always done. It, it can be reversed.
1: It's remarkable. Thank you so much for the time. Michael Browning, registered psychotherapist and uh, certified sex addiction uh, therapist, much longer title. Is there a way that anyone can get in touch with you if they have questions directly, Michael?
0: Sure. Well, you can visit our website, whitestone.clinic. Not .com, just .clinic, okay?
1: That sounds great. Thank you, sir.
0: Wonderful. Thank you. Bye now.
1: It's a conversation that is, um, is difficult, and coming up, Uh, We're going to divide the shows as we are across the Chorus Radio Network uh, right now. So for everybody on 630 Chet in Edmonton, uh, the conversation will continue with the impact of porn on children. For all the parents out there that have kids around, are worried about what the kids are looking at, how big is this impact anyway? Uh, There's a lady who's been in and around this for 30 years, Dr. Dines. Gail Dines, she's going to come uh, and join us on the program and talk about the impact of this. And it's from not a morality, this is not a morality conversation. It's really not. It is 100% from this is what the stats say today. The stats affecting boys and girls, men and women, relationships today as adults And that conversation um, is, again, going to continue uh, with language and topics that are hard. I do not recommend that you keep uh, the young people around for that one. Uh, But we're going to get into that uh, coming up next for 630 Chad, I'm Shane Hewitt filling in for Jalen this afternoon for the next hour anyway. Um, Chris Brentlinger Grant coming up for you after this as well. So before we got to the break, we were chatting about um, porn. (laughs) It's awkward a well, weird that's kind of why we don't talk about it right just chatting about porn the impacts of porn and I want you to know that this next segment we're going to talk about is a mature conversation it's not meant for little ears uh, some of the words that are used uh, in this conversation might make you blush they make me blush maybe they don't I do invite you to listen to this whole conversation before defending texting your texts, of course, are welcome. Sorry, your calls, 780-496-0063. You've got to hear this conversation about stats and facts, not morality. No one's telling you what to do. I promise you, I will not do that to you. I won't tell you that you should or should not. We should not. Should on people. This lady has been uh, in the conversation around the impacts of porn for a very long time. And um, it's a big conversation. Dr. Gail Dines, Doctor of Sociology, Uh, welcome to the program. Uh, Thank you so
3: much for inviting me.
1: So give us maybe a little bit of background, because you've been around this um, educating and understanding the effects of porn on people for a long time. So help me understand uh, how this all got started for you.
3: It was purely by accident. Um, I was writing my doctorate on the sociology of education and I was working at the Rape Crisis Centre and I was reading a lot of reports. This was pre-internet about rapists, serial rapists, and what was coming out of the police reports was how much porn they would find when they raided their homes. And then somebody said to me, there's um, an anti-porn show from uh, the United States and would you like to come and see? And I thought, why not? And I have to say that night, my life changed forever. I mean, I simply could not believe that men would create this and that men would find this arousing. And it was kind of a... I understood patriarchy and I understood misogyny, or I thought I did, till I saw pornography. Because one of my arguments is that nothing delivers misogyny or patriarchy to men's brains quite like pornography. And it delivers to men's brains via the penis, which is a very effective delivery system. And when I saw the level of violence in the pornography it was like how is this a sustainable future and that was like 30 years ago and had you asked me 30 years ago that in the year 2000 something called the internet would happen and that eventually the average kid would be 6 seconds away from free hardcore porn I would have said no don't be ridiculous. There's a culture we're not going to stand by and let our kids be brought up by porn. And you know what? I would have been wrong because the Internet shifted the entire landscape of the porn industry. Not only in 2000 did the porn industry kind of cannibalize the Internet. The very important date was 2007 when a company called man uh, it was actually called Manwin at the time, uh, started by Fabian Thiemann, who was a German businessman. He came in and he kind of swooped up on the porn industry, shoveled up all of the porn, and started what was called the free porn model. This is where you've got Pornhub, um, all the free porn sites. And so they really changed the business model. And in 2007, what happened is instead of having to pay for porn, you got access to two minutes to 20-minute hardcore porn scenes, and I think it's very important for your listeners to understand that the vast majority of free porn, no matter which free porn site you go to, is hardcore. It's the type of pornography that, say, pre-internet, you would have to go to a porn shop to buy and you would have to know somebody in that porn shop who carried such hardcore porn. That is now mainstream and really the only porn that you can get to for free and within about five to seven seconds. This is the world that the 11-year-old boy who puts porn into Google or boobies or sex or whatever, when he's thinking he's going to see maybe a pair of breasts, he is catapulted into a world of sexual violence and sexual degradation that he was not expecting. And the impact on him and his sexual template and his cognitive development and his sexual development is, as we know from the research, catastrophic
1: one of the things that as a dad that came to me with this was the Google search has Miley Cyrus uh, had sex. Um, And that's how it started uh, with, that's how the conversation started with my kids. And that was a bunch of years ago. And so it's amazing when you look at one of the pieces of, you know, Miley Cyrus, for example, and then that becomes the launching point um, for someone to go down the rabbit hole, if you will. So when we look at this, Dr. Gale, how, um, uh, what are the impacts on us? What are the impacts on us today from 30 years ago when we grow up? What are the impacts on our relationships? What are uh, the impacts? For me, it's on, it's, on, it's on your heart. Like the model of what is love and relationships is getting bastardized and, and sort of stomped on.
3: Well, that's actually shown to be empirically true when you look at the research. So what we know is that the earlier boys get to pornography, the more likely they are to act out aggressively, sexually aggressively against girls, the less empathy they have for rape victims, the less capacity they have to develop relationships, the less interest they have in sex with another human being because they prefer their pornography, the less capacity they have for actual connection, human connection, and when you think about the things that make people human, which is empathy, love, connection, and intimacy, all of that is destroyed by the porn industry. And depending on how much porn the kid is using, depending on how young he is, depending on his own history and background, you know, for some kids, All kids will be affected, there's no question. But it's a continuum of effects. And what we know at the far end is that we're looking at sexual violence and we're also increasingly looking now at erectile dysfunction. And what we're seeing is that the number of boys and men, 15 to 30, the number percentage with erectile dysfunction has jumped. In 2000 it was around 2.3%. Today it's 33%. Now, what has changed most profoundly since 2000 is easy access to porn, which has made it affordable, anonymous, and accessible, the three A's that drive demand. So what pornography is really doing now is it's come in as the major form of sex education for boys across the world. And when you introduce boys at a young age to violent sex, where women are degraded, debased, dehumanized, it really gets encoded into their sexual template. It impacts the way that their neurons fire up. wire it impacts the way in which they think of themselves as boys and men and then really what i would argue is you're really laying waste to a generation of boys and when you lay waste to a generation of boys you lay waste to a generation of girls because they become the collateral damage because the boys want to play this out on girls and we have a new sets of data coming out now where what we're seeing which is a whole new area is Child on child sexual abuse. And I recently gave a talk to child protection agencies in Massachusetts and they have boys as young as six raping girls as young as three with pornography heavily implicated in that.
1: That's crazy. Um so what about what about the impact? There's a couple of segments I want to get into here. Uh the impact of girls, because uh, women, uh, and well, young girls, also because this is the new normal, and I say that not because I think it's okay, but because it seems to be the case. Um, women do get drawn into watching now, so because it becomes the new normal for them, therefore the modeling impacts the women too. What are we starting to see that with young girls?
3: Well, first of all, there's not enough. There's not as, as much data, there's nowhere enough research on what happens to girls and young women who look at porn. Most of the research is actually on boys and men. But the research that's coming out is very interesting. So first of all, we know that a lot of the girls who and young women who are looking at porn are not actually looking to it for the same reason that the boys and men are. They're not. There's a percentage that's masturbating to it, no question. But a lot of them are going on to see what boys want so that they can perform porn sex on these boys and men when they eventually hook up. So it's really being used by them very clearly as a major form of sex education. And then you have another group where they have been victims of sexual violence as children, and because of the trauma that they suffer, they're seeking out images of violence against women. And I've had young women tell me who have been sexually abused as children, that they cannot have an orgasm unless they watch another woman being sexually abused. Mm. So the research coming out on girls is that there's no way girls and women are using porn at the same level of boys. They're not using it in the same way, but it is beginning to shape their sexual templates as well because it's normalizing pornography as a legitimate way to have sex. Porn sex is becoming normalized as mainstream sex. And the essence of porn sex is that women are disposable, women are there to be used by men and that sex is about weaponizing the penis against women this is really the message in porn and in porn men make hate to women not love Mm -hmm. so all the things you assume with making love of connection and intimacy all of that is completely eradicated by porn and what you get is this you can literally feel the loathing That they have towards the women, the way in which there is a desire to hurt them and to really push them to their bodily limits till they literally break. They say this in porn. You know, how far can we push her till she breaks in two? They're very open about what they're doing. It's so out there. This is in plain sight. This is not hiding. You and you know, for parents. I would recommend that they take some time to look at Pornhub because this is what their kids are looking at. And if you are a parent and you are charged with bringing kids up, you need to know what your kid is looking at because otherwise there is no way you can help develop resilience and resistance in your kid's To porn culture.
1: Sounds like an education on internet filters and how that works for the houses. So, how
3: do we. Much bigger. I want to say it's actually much bigger than that because a lot of kids can get through filters in no time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But that's, I mean, that's
1: where you start, right? I mean, you got to make sure that the the doors are locked and have the conversation. And don't be afraid to step into the conversation. Now, you said about this, this number about that tips into men 33% erectile dysfunction. And as we have this conversation, there's going to be a man somewhere who fits into that age group, uh, late 20s, early 30s that listens and goes, oh, I've been to the doctor for erectile dysfunction. Wait a second, that could be me. So when we look at adults today um, and we look at relationships today, what are we starting to see inside relationships and the effect of porn? Because my question for you is that there are people who say that they're living healthy lives, if you will, but then this could be part of their life, watching porn, either with their partner or without their partner. Uh, Is porn a drug and how is it affecting adults today?
3: Well, it's not a drug in the traditional way we think about drugs. But what we do know is when you think about the impact of drugs in terms of addiction, what happens when you try and stop using it with withdrawal, then it looks much more like a drug. Also, when you measure the dopamine releases, and this is where new research is coming out of all science, is when they looked at men... Um, who are porn addicts, and they compared them to alcoholics and drug abusers, what they found is that when men who watch porn, they release more dopamine than alcohol, alcoholics, heroin addicts, and on the same level as methamphetamine addicts. That's how much dopamine porn releases. So you're thinking about a, a methamphetamine hit, literally, to a 12-year-old boy when he's looking at porn. So the impact is enormous. The impact in relationships is we're finding from lawyers, there's data now, that porn is increasingly being cited as reasons for divorce. We're finding women, and studies show that when women find their husbands have been using porn, their sense of betrayal is greater than if he was having an affair. And I would argue that if men are using porn and masturbating to it and looking at it and developing their sexual templates around it, You cannot build a healthy, life-loving relationship with another human being. This is whether you're gay or straight. This is not just about heterosexual relationships because pornography kind of bleeds dry from sex All that makes sex meaningful which is again connection love intimacy all of those things which is completely missing in pornography and I'd also like to circle back to something you said about what to do about children because this is really really important because we are now bringing up a generation of boys on porn the filters as I said are very important more important is that we know there is a thing called a parental naivete gap where the average parent is underestimating how much porn their kids sees by a factor of 10 and Also, does not understand how hardcore porn is so my organization culture reframed we have developed the first ever online free parents program where we educate parents how to build resilience and resistance in their kids because it's not enough to have the filters because you can filter the hell out of your um, phone laptop but you know what doesn't mean the next door neighbor is going to do that and your friends and your um his friends are going to do that so as a parent or educators what we recommend is you go on the culture reframed um parents program and you get to that by culture just hit on the parents program it's free you just have to register you can go in for five minutes five hours, 20 hours, and we actually show you how to build the knowledge and the tools to have many conversations, not one, with your kids to talk to them about the harms of porn, not in a way that is preachy not in a way that is in any way authoritarian, but in a way where you are working with your kid to stop the porn industry hijacking their sexuality. And at the end of their program, we even have 12 scripted out conversations that you can have with your kid, which we don't expect you to follow the exact script, but we're helping parents have conversations around pornography, sexting, hypersexualization, because parents have been crying out for this. We built this because when we lectured all over not just in this country but all over the world and when I say this country I mean the US, parents would say the first thing, help us, help us, we don't know what to do, we're overwhelmed and indeed they are overwhelmed, so two years later um, eight consultants drawn from adolescent psychology, neuroscience sexual health we now have this Parents of Tweens program online and in January we will go live with our Parents of Teens program, so we are building a science based program driven by research that is accessible to parents and also now we found that teachers are using it um, pediatricians are using it it's it's being used in Brazil in Sweden in England we were quite surprised how much this was being picked up but then when you realize it's the only thing out there that's really helping anyone who's been charged with bringing up healthy children it's really not such a surprise that people are flocking to our programs it's
1: absolutely incredible thank you for that Dr. Gail Dines and the website if you're looking as a parent or a grandparent or whatever you don't know how to stop it you don't know how to start the conversation CultureReframed.org uh, is the website to learn about the impact of that your text messages and more coming up for you next Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. my name is Shane Hewitt uh, sitting in this afternoon at least for this hour anyway on afternoon 6 30 ched with Jalen and I